Part One, Chapter Twenty One of War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Nathan Haskell Doyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Pierre well knew this great room, divided by columns and an arcade, and all hung with Persian tapestries. The part of the chamber behind the columns, where on one side stood a huge mahogany bedstead with silken curtains, and on the other a monstrous kyot or shrine with images was all brightly and beautifully lighted, just as churches are usually lighted for evening service. Under the glittering decorations of this shrine stood a long Voltaire reclining chair, and in the chair, supported by snowy white, unruffled cushions, apparently only just changing, lay the majestic form of Pierre's father, Count Bouzoukoy, with his hair heaped up on his lofty forehead like a lion's mane, as Pierre remembered it so well and the same strong, deep wrinkles on his handsome, aristocratic face, reddish-yellow in color. He was wrapped to the waist in a bright green quilt, and lay directly under the holy pictures. Both of his great stout arms were uncovered and lay on the quilt. In his right hand, which lay palm down, a wax taper was placed between the thumb and forefinger, and an old servant bending over the chair held it upright. Around the chair stood the clergy in their magnificent glittering robes, with their long locks streaming down over their shoulders, with lighted tapers in their hands, performing their functions with slow solemnity. A little back from them stood the two younger princesses, with handkerchiefs in their hands, pressed to their eyes, and just in front of them was the oldest sister, Katish, with a spiteful, resolute face, not for a moment letting her eyes wander from the icon as though she were saying to all that she would not be responsible for her actions if she looked around. Anna Mikhailovna, with an expression of sanctified grief and universal forgiveness on her face, stood near the door with the strange lady. Prince Vasily, on the other side of the door, near the Count, stood behind a carved chair, upholstered in velvet, which he had turned back to, and was leaning on it his left hand with a taper, and crossing himself with his right hand, raising his eyes each time that his fingers touched his forehead. His face expressed calm devoutness and submission to the will of God. If you cannot comprehend these feelings, so much the worse for you, his countenance seemed to say. Behind him stood the adjutant, the doctors, and the men-servants, just as in church the men and women took opposite sides. No one spoke. All kept crossing themselves, the only sound was the reading of the service, the low, subdued chanting of the priest's deep bass, and during the intervals of silence, the restless movement of feet and deep sighs. Anna Mikhailovna, with that significant expression of countenance that showed she knew what she was doing, crossed the whole width of the chamber to where Pierre was, and gave him a taper. He lighted it, and then, growing confused under the glances of those around him, began to cross himself with the hand which held the taper. The youngest of the sisters, the rosy and fun-loving Princess Sophie, the one with the mole, was looking at him. She smiled and hid her face in her handkerchief, and did not expose it for some time. When she caught sight of Pierre again, her amusement again overcame her. Then, evidently feeling that she had not the self-control sufficient to allow her to look at him without smiling, and that she could not keep from looking at him, she quietly fled from temptation by retreating behind a column. In the midst of the service, the voices of the clergy suddenly ceased. The priest whispered something to each other. The old waiting man, who held the candle in the Count's hand, 
straightened up and went over to the lady's side. Anna Mikhailovna stepped forward, and bending over the sick man, beckoned to Dr. Lorraine without turning around. The French doctor had been standing without a lighted taper, leaning against one of the pillars, in that reverent attitude by which one who, though a stranger and belonging to a different creed, shows that he appreciates all the solemnity of the ceremony and even assents to it. With the noiseless steps of a man possessed of perfect vigor, he answered Anna Mikhailovna's call, went over to the sick man, lifted in his white, slender fingers the hand that lay on the green quilt, and bending over, began to count the pulse and grew grave. Something was given to the invalid to drink. There was a slight stir about him. Then once more they all took their places, and the service proceeded. At the time of this interruption, Pierre noticed that Prince Vasily left his position behind the carved chair, and, with an expression of countenance that seemed to say that he knew what he was doing, and that it was so much worse for others if they did not understand him, went, not to the sick man, but past him, and being joined by the oldest of the princesses, retired with her into the depths of the alcove, to the high bedstead under the silken hangings. From there both the prince and the princess disappeared through a rear door, but before the end of the service both resumed their places, one after the other. Pierre gave this strange action no more thought than to anything else, having once for all made up his mind that all that took place that evening was absolutely essential. The sounds of the church chant ceased, and the voice of the priest was heard respectfully congratulating the sick man on his having received the mystery. The count lay as before, motionless and as though lifeless. Around him was a stir. Footsteps and a whispering were heard. Anna Mikhailovna's voice could be distinguished above the rest. Pierre listened and heard her say, he must be carried instantly to bed. It will never do in the world for him here to— The doctors, princesses, and servants crowded around the invalid so that Pierre could no longer see that reddish-yellow face with the gray mane of hair, which ever since the service began had constantly filled his vision to the exclusion of everything else. He surmised by the guarded movements of those who crowded around the armchair that they were lifting and carrying the dying man. Hold by my arm— "'You'll drop him so,' said one of the servants in a frightened whisper. "'Take him lower down. One more,' said different voices, and the labored breathing and shuffling of feet growing more hurried seemed to indicate that the load that these men were carrying was beyond their strength. As the bearers, among their number Anna Mikhailovna, came opposite the young man, he caught a momentary glimpse over their heads and backs of his father's strong, full chest uncovered, his stout shoulders lifted above the people carrying him under their arms, and his leonine head with its curly mane. The face, with its extraordinary high forehead and cheekbones, handsome, sensitive mouth, and majestic, cold eyes, was undisfigured by the nearness of death. It was just the same as when Pierre had seen it three months previously, when the Count had sent him to Petersburg. But the head rolled helplessly under the uneven steps of the bearers, and the cold, indifferent eyes gave no sign of recognition. There followed a few moments of bustle around the high bedstead. Those who had been carrying the sick man withdrew. Anna Mikhailovna touched Pierre on the arm and said, Vini. Pierre went with her to the bed, whereon the sick man had been placed in solemn attitude, evidently in some manner connected with the sacrament just accomplished. He lay with his head propped high on pillows, his hands were placed side by side, palm downward, on the green silk quilt. 
As Pierre went to him, the Count was looking straight at him, but his look had that meaning and significance which it is impossible for a man to read. Either that look had simply nothing to say, and merely fastened upon him because those eyes must needs look at something, or they had too much to say. Pierre paused, not knowing what was expected of him, and glanced inquiringly at his guide. Anna Mikhailovna made him a hasty motion with her eyes toward the sick man's hand, and with her lips signified that he should kiss it. Pierre bent over carefully so as not to disturb the quilt, and in accordance with her advice touched his lips to the broad, brawny hand. Neither the hand nor a muscle of the Count's face moved. Pierre again looked questioningly at Anna Mikhailovna to find what he should do next. She signed to him with her eyes to sit down in an armchair which stood near the bed. Pierre submissively sat down, his eyes mutely asking if he were doing the right thing. Anna Mikhailovna approvingly nodded her head. Pierre again assumed the symmetrically simple attitude of the Egyptian statue, and evidently really suffered because his awkward, huge frame took up so much space, though he strove with all his might to make it seem as small as possible. He looked at the Count. The Count was staring at the spot where Pierre had just been standing. Anna Mikhailovna showed by her actions that she realized the pathetic importance of this final meeting of father and son. This lasted two minutes, which seemed an hour to Pierre. Suddenly a tremor appeared in the deep, powerful muscles and lines of the Count's face. It grew more pronounced. The handsome mouth was drawn to one side. This caused Pierre for the first time to realize how near to death his father was, and from the drawn mouth proceeded an indistinguishable hoarse sound. Anna Mikhailovna looked anxiously into the sick man's eyes and tried to make out what he wanted, pointing first at Pierre, then at the tumbler. Then she asked in a whisper if she should call Prince Vasily, then pointed at the quilt. The sick man's face and eyes expressed impatience. He mustered force enough to look at the manservant who never left his master's bedside. He wants to be turned over on the other side whispered the servant, and proceeded to lift and turn the Count's heavy body face to the wall. Pierre got up to help the servant. Just as they were turning the Count over, one of his arms fell back helplessly, and he made a futile effort to raise it. Did the Count notice the look of terror on Pierre's face at the sight of that lifeless arm, or did some other thought flash across his dying brain at that moment? At all events, he looked at his disobedient hand, then at Pierre's terror-stricken face, and back to his hand again, and over his lips played a martyr's weak smile out of character with his powerful features, and seeming to express a feeling of scorn for his own lack of strength. At the sight of this smile Pierre unexpectedly felt an oppression around the heart, a strange pinching in his nose, and the tears dimmed his eyes. The sick man lay on his side toward the wall. He drew a long sigh. He is going to sleep, said Anna Mikhailovna to one of the nieces who returned to watch. Allons. Pierre left the room. End of chapter 21